following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. God's Word. What is it? We live in a world where every religion has a holy book. In the Christian faith, our holy book we call the Bible. 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, written at the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit over centuries by different people. And all of that truth coming together in what we call the canon of the Bible. College courses you can take that study of the Bible. And it's kind of interesting because I've known uh, students who have taken those courses in college and they study it as a piece of literature with different kinds of literature in it. Maybe for some historical information. But the Bible, as God intended it for us, is more than just information. But when we encounter it, It changes our life. It is transformative also. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us just to get smarter about him. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. And the Bible, God's word, is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring us into that relationship. The word of God that uh, I want to start with this morning is in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. So if you have your Bibles there on the, on the seats, uh, look that up with me. The Apostle Paul, writing to his young friend, Pastor Timothy, says, All Scripture is God-breathed. That's inspired, breathed into. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Now notice all of those. One was teaching. One was informational. But notice what all the others are. They are life-changing. They are transformational. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants to change our lives and wants us to grow as his disciples. I like to say this uh, saying, which uh, you've probably, many of you have probably heard, what you get into gets into you. I think that's probably more true than it ever has been in history. Look what people are into today. The internet. I uh, was loading the car up this morning to come over here, and there was a guy in our condo complex walking two dogs on his phone. And he almost ran over me because he was on his phone. What's he getting into? Now we all do that. But it's even more true in relation to the Bible. What you get into gets into you. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we into God's word the way we should be? 
1976, when I first met Harry Went, which some of you have heard me talk about, in Australia, I traveled with a pastor friend of mine, Ellis Rotman. Some may know that name also. But Ellis Rotman would say, as he taught uh, on that trip, he would say, do you only eat once a week? Or once every other week, like on Sunday morning in relation to God's word? Well, if you only eat physically once a week or less than that, are you going to be healthy? Are you going to be vital in your life? No. Well, why is it any different with God's word if we only eat once a week on Sunday morning? Studies show that only 10% of active Christians are in Bible study in any given week. So, what are we into? What we get into gets into us. Now, I want to just, as a part of my introduction, talk about spiritual disciplines. That's a term that was, uh, uh, has been used down through history in the Christian church, and it depends on who you're talking to, what all they list as spiritual disciplines. But spiritual disciplines are things that add to our life in Christ. And they are taught to us in God's word, uh, most of them. But they are helpful in regard to what we get into. Now, for those of you that have been here the past few weeks, you know that uh, Pastor Mark has been talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer. And I happened to be here for one of those teachings, and uh, I hope you were here for more than I was, because uh, his teaching that day was very, very helpful. And we need to get into prayer, talking with God. Another spiritual discipline is God's Word, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But I've put a couple of others down just to kind of give you an idea. Uh, Some call spiritual discipline uh, silence, solitude, and meditation just to sit quietly and kind of think about what God has done and what, we, what you have learned about him and just meditate on it in silence. Silence is not something we're familiar with in our world. Uh, it's hard to get where it's really silent. And fi- I find that many people are uncomfortable with silence. When I was in school, uh, students would conduct chapel and It was always to see who could be the most innovative. And what you would remember was their innovative thing and not the message. And I remember one guy getting up there and uh, he, he came up and he looked down and he didn't say anything. And it was, he said it was for two minutes. And everybody in the place was uncomfortable. You know how that is? They thought he'd lost his place. They felt bad for him, all that kind of stuff. But he was trying to make the point that silence is okay. And before God, silence, solitude, meditation is a spiritual discipline. Another one is worship, you know, uh, what we participate in most often on Sunday mornings, but it's also at other times. Um, Sabbath rest. Um, God rested on the seventh day when he created the world and he encouraged a Sabbath rest. The Old Testament people picked that up as don't do any work. But Sabbath really means just stop. 
get out of your schedule. Just stop and let God work in your life. And another spiritual discipline is fasting, which can be very helpful. But those spiritual disciplines are uh, things that the Christian church down through history has pointed to as ways to build your relationship with Jesus. But I want to focus with you today on the Word of God, and I want to just kind of help us see the simplicity of its message. Uh, I find that a lot of people, when they're encouraged to read the Bible, they say, where do I start? I've tried that before. I got overwhelmed when I got to Leviticus, you know, all that kind of thing. Well, uh, let's look at the simple message and see the importance of faithfully getting into God's word so that it gets into us. So let's just kind of look at a couple of simple things. God's word centers in love. Love is a word that we throw around a lot in our world. Um, I uh, had a, a guy that whenever he'd come up to me and say, love you, man. I don't even know what he was meaning by that. You know, and then I see these bumper stickers on a car, God is love. And I think, what does that really mean to people? Because love has such a wide variety of meaning. But when we talk about God's word centering in love, we're talking about a very special kind of love. Um, this is uh, you know, one of the few things I remember from the seminary. There are four words for love in the New Testament in the Greek language, and we translate them all in English as the word love. And so those four have subtle little different meanings. And if you don't understand that, you miss the point of what the Bible is saying. But the love I want to focus on as uh, the love that God's word focuses on is a word agape. Now agape is a word that is always, always used when the Bible talks about God's love for us. And it's also the word that's used when it talks about, and, and this varies a little bit, but it, when it talks about our love for God and our love for each other in marriage and family and other relationships. But agape love is love that is totally unselfish, has no thought about itself. It's totally unconditional. Don't have to measure up to something in order to get it. It's totally sacrificial, willing to give up what you want for the benefit of another. And it's totally forgiving. Remember, that's the word that is always used for God's love for us. It's always unselfish, unconditional, sacrificial, which was the ultimate sacrifice of his son on the cross for our sins, and it's always forgiving. He's always ready to forgive. Is there a sin God will not forgive? Absolutely not. That's the kind of love he has for us. If you look at Romans 5, verse 8, you want to turn to that if you're look, looking up those scriptures in the Bible with me. Romans 5, verse 8. This is uh, the Apostle Paul saying, but God demonstrates his own agape, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. No condition. Quit sinning and he'll love us? No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his son as a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, putting all of our sins on him and having him die in our place. That's the message of love that God has for all people. Now, it only benefits those who believe it, but it's for everybody. And then he takes that love and he says, once you know my love, <clears throat> that unselfish, unconditional, sacrificial, forgiving love, once you know that, then that will become your mark in how you treat people. Look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is the Apostle John talking about love. And this is the word of Jesus himself. Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love, agape one another, as I have loved you, agape you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you agape one another. What are Christians known for in the world today? Studies have shown that <clears throat> when the non-Christian world, which is ultimately where God wants that love to go, the non-Christian world, when they are asked, what do you think about Christians? They, their first two answers are Christians are hypocrites and Christians are judgmental. Where'd they get that idea? From Christians, from people who call themselves Christians. Now, we'll never be perfect, but this word of God has a message for us that is informational and transformational and that message is love comes from God. Now share that love with others. Love as I have loved you. That's really the simple message of the Bible. Now that doesn't mean once you know that message, you don't need to be in God's word anymore. But it's key to know that that's what it's all about. And you can't get bogged down in all the other stuff that's there. Keep hearing that message. God agapes us, and we are to agape one another. God's word is also a word that tells us what we're supposed to do and not do. We call that the law. <clears throat> so as you read the Bible, you'll see there's a message of law in it. And that message is, this is what God wants people to do and not do. Now we generally kind of summarize that in what we call the Ten Commandments, okay? But there's much more in the Bible that are words to do and not to do that God conveys to us. And those words are important because when he sets a standard and we look at ourselves, we measure how we're doing in accord with what he says to do and not do, and it points out for us that we are in need. We are sinners, 
And we can't do what he says, and we can't not do what he says not to do. We fall short. So God's law is very specific. Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, 48, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now this is uh, totally um, untrue, but if you want to get right with God by what you do, all you have to do is be perfect. Anybody raising their hand? The standard that God sets is never given as a way for us to get to God. Sometimes people look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh, ten rules? If I just do those, then God will like me. No, they were never given. The law was never given as a way for people to get to God. The law was given for us to measure our need, but then once we know our need and believe in Jesus, then the law becomes a guideline for healthy and holy living. Not to get God's love or to keep his love, but because we have all of his love already. And that brings us to another message of the Bible. The message that tells us what God has done for us. <clears throat> we call that the gospel, the good news. And that message is a message of the Bible. The law points out our sin. The gospel points to our Savior. And I chose a real simple passage for that. God, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what God did for us. It's the message of the gospel. It's what we need when the law shows us our sin. We need both messages. If we only had the gospel, God's love for us, and he sent Jesus for us, we might say, so what? No big deal. Believe it or it doesn't make any difference if you don't believe it. But I need that law that shows me that without that message of what Jesus did and what he actually accomplished on the cross, I would be lost. I would have no hope. So I need to know my need but I need to know my Savior. There is no hope apart from him. We hear people talk about being self-made people. We hear people talk about, I'm not as bad as, and they point to somebody that they identify as much worse. And we can do that. We can play that game as human beings, but the ultimate issue is we're all sinners all separated from God, all without hope. And the law shows that to us. But I need the gospel. I need to know that God loved me and the world so much that he gave his one and only son to die for my sins. 
And that by my faith in him, my sins are washed away. They are no longer a barrier between me and God. And I have a place in God's family now and eternally. I want to hear that message. And once you know that message, you want other people to hear that message also. How important is it that God's word does that for us? I brought a, a newsletter along this morning, and I don't normally read things, but uh, I want to read this this morning. My wife and I support a ministry called Iran Alive. It's a gospel ministry in the country of Iran. And by the way, <coughs> statistics show that the most Christian conversions today in the world are in Iran and Syria. Now, you would have never thought that, would you? Iran and Syria. Well, this uh, uh, gospel preacher, they call him the Billy Graham of Iran, does satellite broadcasts into Iran. And this is a letter that he got back. He introduces it by saying, Muslims are not allowed to think critically or question their faith. In some Islamic countries, asking questions about Islam or Quran is considered blasphemy and punishable with lashes. Muslims are afraid to question Islam even in their mind because they fear Allah will get mad and punish them by bringing sickness, financial hardship, or death. Now, what's the message behind that? We get what we deserve. And that's how they view their God. How do we view our God? We get what we don't deserve because he paid for it. Now listen to the letter. This is a letter from a man by the name of Morid. I was a radical Muslim. I always tried to follow every command of Islam, but did not have any peace. My heart was full of fear. I hated everyone and could not forgive anybody. A few months ago, one of my relatives gave me a Bible. I got it because I knew what a horrible life he used to have, and now I could see that he had changed. I believed Islam was the most complete religion and no religion was better. But after seeing the life transformation of my relative, remember, all men will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. <clears throat> I said to myself, how do you know Islam is the best religion? So I decided to compare the Quran and the Bible which caused my eyes for the first time to be open to the teachings of Quran. I saw that the God of Quran says, I am the best of deceivers, but in the Bible, God says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I realized Allah encourages his followers to lie and even break their promises, but the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Allah was a revengeful God, but the God of the Bible was forgiving and ask us to forgive others. As I studied the Bible, I was introduced to the true God who was not a deceiver. He was full of love. I felt so much peace and joy every time I read the Bible. I slept little and for hours every day read the Bible. The verses spoke to my spirit, my heart, and emotions. I had never had such an experience. I will never forget the night that I repented and prayed to receive Christ. 
and that I started watching your broadcasts on television. Today I know the true God who calls himself a father and calls me his child. Reading the Bible. He had read the Quran, didn't work. He met a God who is a God of love. What we get into gets into us. It's against the law to hand out Bibles in Iran. And yet, it's being done by thousands of Christians because they know the power in God's word. God tells us that we are to use his word faithfully. Why would we do that? I want to just conclude with three reasons that God would have us faithfully be in his word. The first one is because it points us to Jesus. The primary purpose of the Bible, with all of the Old Testament promises and prophecies, <clears throat> and the New, New Testament fulfillment in Jesus, and what followed with his apostles, all of that centers in Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees, who were the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, are chided by Jesus in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, to 40. If you have your Bibles, look that up with me. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. Jesus is talking and he says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. What were they doing? They were trying to find out what they had to do and not do to find eternal life. But Jesus says, These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You can't do it by what you do. And I need to be in God's word to know that I am saved by what he did, not by what I can do. Now, once I know I'm saved, I will want to do what he wants me to. And with his help, I'll do it to the best of my ability. But my judgment and my relationship with him is not based on my performance. It's based on what he did when he sent Jesus. And I want to be faithful in that word because it keeps pointing me to what it needs to be at the center of my life, and that's Jesus. Secondly, it assures us of what Jesus did for us. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John is talking about the reason uh, his gospel was written, but it uh, can be expanded beyond that. John says in the last of, uh, verses of chapter 20, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. There's a whole lot more out there that Jesus did, but we didn't record it all. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Why do I want to be under the word of God faithfully? Because it's going to keep telling me 
that Jesus is the promised Savior who died for me, and I have life in his family now and eternally because of him. I need that message every day. I've had people say, why do I need to come to church all the time? I hear the same message. Well, I hope you do. I hope it's not a different message. Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus. And it is. And thirdly, I want to be faithful in God's word because it sets me free by the truth. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, this is... Uh, what the gospel writer says that Jesus also says. John 8, 31 and 30, uh, John 8 verses uh, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed in him. By the way, the word believe there means uh, in name only. It doesn't mean a committed, trusting faith in Jesus. So those that were kind of coming along, Jesus said to those who kind of, <clears throat> we're saying, I claim to follow Jesus, but they really weren't in depth following Jesus. He said to those who had that kind of a uh, maybe yes, maybe no attitude, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you, will really, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We have all kinds of people in our culture today who are rewriting the truth. Studies show that 70% of people in the United States believe there is no such thing as absolute truth. So if you put 70%, that's going to pick up some Christians who call themselves Christians. So Jesus said, to those who call yourself Christians, here's what really it's all about. If you hold to my word, if you hold to my teaching, then you're my disciple, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from sin, free from the burden that sin causes, free from the guilt that it causes, all been put on Jesus for us. I'm reading through the Bible again this year, and uh, I've done it, I don't know how many times in my life, but I'm doing it this year, um, chronologically, which means you read what the scripture was when it was written in the time frames as best they know it. And I've just amazed again, I've just waded through the first 10 books of the Old Testament. And if you've ever read the Bible, you know what those are like. But you know what? This time through, it's different. It's different. I see it and I say, oh man, they shouldn't have killed all those people. That wasn't a thing that I thought should have been done, but they did. But then it comes with the message that God is gracious and forgiving and he loves us more than we can ever imagine. I challenge you this morning to get into God's word more than once a week or less than that a daily encounter with God because his word informs us, but it transforms us, it changes us. Would you pray with me about that? Heavenly Father, we know that your word gives
given to us is truth. We believe that, can't prove it to anybody, but when we consider how it was given to us, so many different authors over so many centuries, all with the same message, we say there's more to this than just my believing it. But we ask you, Lord, to help us get into your word more so that we might know you in a more personal way and be able to love and serve you in this world and to love others as you have loved us. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.